Good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Man, what a joy to be worshiping with you. Thank you guys so much for that. That was um, powerful and amazing. If you're, if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. So glad to have you uh, joining our family this morning. We are going to be opening the Bible to Ecclesiastes uh, for the last time in the foreseeable future. So we, this morning, close off the book of Ecclesiastes and... Um, uh, I don't know how it feels to you guys. For me, it feels like it's gone a little fast, but for probably a lot of you, you're like, this could not have gone slower, and that is what it is. I'm going to start, as we kind of close this off, we've been on this long journey, and I want to uh, start us off by uh, bringing you to a, a person who, for many of you, I've been able to make familiar, which is Soren Kierkegaard, okay? Soren Kierkegaard, I've given you guys a respite from quoting him all the time, but here we go again. Um, he was a 19th century philosopher and theologian in Denmark, and for him at the time, it was a country that was super Christian. Like, everything was Christian. The, the, the churches were run by the states. Like, it was, it was kind of, in many ways, it was like um, every conservative American's dream, uh, where, like, the government is Christian, and everyone is Christian, and by virtue of living in this country of Denmark, you are Christian. Uh, but for Kierkegaard, that was a huge problem, because he's saying, everyone's Christian and nobody's Christian, right? It's just like, it's what you do. It's part of your cultural thing, and it's not real for anybody. And, and what he saw is he said, my, my age, like, is an age of inaction. Like, it's a, it's a bunch of people that he says, you read the newspapers, and it's like, oh, something big must have just happened. Or you get the sense of, like, maybe something really big is about to just happen, but he's saying you live in this culture. It's a culture of inaction. Nothing ever happens, but we keep talking like things are either just happening or about to happen. He uses this illustration of a pond. So picture a, a pond in wintertime that's frozen over, and um, the whole thing, but in the middle, there's this... Um, um, this weak spot on the ice, okay? The ice is beginning to melt in the middle of the pond. Um, and so he says, our culture is like these ice skaters that get out on this pond, and um, they're skating on the safe ice, perfectly safe. And there's no harm. There's no possibility of any injury or anything. Um, but out in the middle where, where it's weak, and we know the ice is weak, he said these skaters are just going, and they're like, they're making a spectacle. of they're, they're skating really fast out towards the middle of the ice, and at the last possible second, they turn back from the dangerous uh, center of the ice, and they come back. And all the crowds are just watching, and they're like, oh, wow, did you see how close he got to that dangerous spot in the ice? Woo, this is exciting. Wow, this is risky. And he's saying, but what is actually happening is everyone is skating out. They're staying on the comfortable, safe ice. No one's in any actual danger, but we're all just riling ourselves up with the appearance of danger. Now, um, what could this possibly mean in the context of a sermon? Um, I think it's this. I think in church culture, we are so good at playing it safe, but in a way that seems a little exciting. You know what I'm saying? Like we know the Christian things to do. We know how to conduct ourselves and live our lives. And we know how to kind of look like these bold Christian people to the people around us. But at no time are we actually ever like investing ourselves into something that might actually be outside of our comfort zone, might actually be a little risky. So it looks like bold faith, but really we're just doing the same thing that we've done and we're playing it safe over and over again. And as we come to the end of Ecclesiastes, we've been on this huge journey, this like sweeping epic journey where the preacher has just guided us through quest after quest. It's like he's taken his traditional religion, uh, his Jewish religion, he set it aside and he says, I'm, I'm going to use my big brain and my powers of observation and I'm going to figure out what is worthwhile in life. I'm not going to listen to my traditional wisdom anymore. I'm going to figure this out. And he take, took us on quest after quest, um, a quest for wisdom to try to figure out life using our big brains. 
quest for pleasure, uh, using my five senses that I'm going to explore pleasure in any way that I possibly can, and I'm going to find meaning in that. A quest for achievement, um, where we just, we get ourselves to be significant enough to where life is finally meaningful. A quest for accumulation, where we just get all the stuff, and we're like, I'm going to find meaning in that. And as he's taken us on quest after quest after quest, he keeps coming back to the same place of saying, it's just all vanity. It's, it's this enigma. It's like this, it's like wind that we're chasing after and trying to grab and none of it actually matters. So he's taken us on this whole huge journey and now he's going to come to the end of it. And my concern is that we will have gone all this way and taken this whole thing and that we will turn back at the last second, right? Boy, we were bold to have taken the journey, but right at the point where we're invited into action, right at the point we're invited to do something that's risky, that's outside of our comfort zone, that requires something significant of us, I could see many of us just turning back and don't worry, we'll all applaud for you, right? That's the good Christian thing to do. Play it safe. Just be a good Christian person. We know what that looks like. But I think for many of us, I think God might be calling us to, to a bigger step this morning. Um, something, something tougher, something that requires a little more of us, something that takes us outside of what we're comfort, uh, comfortable with. Um, and I'm going to invite you to accept the preacher's invitation this morning um, and do that. So if you have your Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we're at the bitter end of this, of this long, fascinating journey. And uh, we're going to walk through these last few verses together. So here now, uh, is, is the, um, there, there's been the preacher. He's been actually the main character in the book. We kind of have felt like he's writing the book, but there's somebody else is sort of narrating, talking about the preacher. So there's someone else that's compiled this whole thing, and he's going to explain to us, this is how I want you to feel about the journey that you just went on. He's going to wrap it up for us. So in verse 9 of, of Ecclesiastes 12, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. That last line I read for the first time in college, and uh, boy did that resonate, I will just say. Um, He's giving us an insight into what we just experienced, okay? So we just went through Ecclesiastes, and it's like, okay, what, what, did, I just, what did I just see? What did I just read? And he's going to tell us and explain to us, this is what you just experienced. And here's what it comes down to. It's all about epistemology. And I know you guys are all thinking like, yeah, that's what I was getting to, is that it's all about epistemology. Epistemology is a, is a um, subset of philosophy. It's an area of study in philosophy that's all about how we come to know the things that we know. Okay, so like, do you know that you're alive? How do you know that you're alive? Is it by what your senses can feel? Is it by the fact that you think and, and breathe? And, like, how do you know what you know? That's epistemology. The, the preacher has gone on this trip of saying, I'm not going to have religion tell me what's going on in the world anymore. I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to figure out with my big brain what's going on. So this has been the thing. He's tried to figure it out. He's taken all these proverbs and these truths and these sayings and these experiences, and he's aligned them in such a way that he wanted to take us onto a journey. Now, that journey started in chapter 1, verse 2, with him saying, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Really depressing starting point, right? Everything's futile. Everything's enigmatic. Nothing really makes sense or provides meaning. That's where he started. Where he ended the journey, uh, Nathan ended here last week, in chapter 12, verse 8, if you have your Bible, you can look back there. What does he say? 
vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. So we took a, a journey of a million miles and ended up right back where we started from, which is a little bit depressing. And that is definitely the preacher's mode, for sure, is trying to bum us out at every opportunity, it seems. But he comes to the end. And, and so epistemologically, what he's doing is he's looking, okay, he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at life under the sun. So we've been saying it like this, that if the sun is up here and you can look and see the sun, he's been shielding his eyes from the sun and just looking at life underneath the sun. And he's just saying, I'm going to figure it out. And he's saying, man, when I, when I go like this and I look, nothing really makes sense. It's all just vanity. It's all grasping after the wind. And he comes to the end and he repeats the same conclusion. But the, the trick is for the preacher he, by virtue of everything that he's experienced and everything that he's wrestled with, he is now a different person, making the same statement, but now he's a different person. And for those of us that have been clued in and following along, we find ourselves now as different people, right? First, he's very dismissive of life. Now he's come to this deeper place, and we can say the same thing. Yeah, like everything in life is vanity, but hopefully, as we say that, we can see there's this sense of hope. Because he's been laying side by side the futility of everything in life, but also the goodness of the creator, right? The God that we're supposed to remember when we're still young. The God that we're supposed to fear and walk in. The God who like put eternity into our hearts and, and makes all things beautiful in its time. He's set these things side by side and he's begun to fill the gaps between our experience and the frustration of that. And then the hope and the truth that he, I think, grew up with in this uh, I was going to say Christian tradition, but this Jewish tradition um, at the time. And so there's this growth that happens, and there's this um, filling in of the gaps that he's given us um, with all this. And so how, how do we think about what he wrote and how he did it? It says in verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So when you read that, the preacher gave us words of delight. A bunch of you are like, did I read the same book that the preacher did? Because that didn't seem that delightful. It's telling us, how are you supposed to feel about what you just read? You should be uplifted. We, we should find joy in these words. And that might be a little tricky because a lot of the things he said are kind of depressing, but it's all meant to lead us into a certain spot. Look at what he says in verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. So if you don't know what a goad is, it's basically a stick with a nail on the end of it, okay? And a shepherd would use this. This is not PETA approved, but you would, uh, your, your sheep gets off the path and it's going the wrong way. You jab that sucker with the, with the goad and he goes back on the other way. So it's a, it's a intentionally painful deal that's meant to get you onto a path that will lead you to life and, and, and goodness and health and, and all these kinds of things. He's saying the words of the wise is meant to be, bring delight because these words are like goads. And they're meant to kind of take us as we go through life and say, okay, you know what? I was kind of veering into assuming that I could find meaning in life through pleasure or through achievement or um, through wisdom. And I'm, I'm being reminded, okay, ow, that was painful to be reminded of that. But I need to get back onto the right path, the path that the Lord sets for me. That's how these words are intended to operate. Now, some of you are like, yes, that is that has been it. There's been hard, depressing things. I, some of you have, have shared with me, like, this book talks a lot about death, and that's really heavy and hard for me. Um, he's talked about, like, stillborn children in this whole thing. He's talked about um, how nothing really works out the way that we want it to. Like, there's been some hard sayings, and some of you have grieved through this. You've been challenged through this. I know I definitely have felt like I'm disagreeing with him at times, and yet he's all, the whole thing has been trying to lead us onto a right path. And like he says in the second half of verse 11, that like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd. 
So nails firmly fixed, it's like he's giving us pegs that are set, that are immovable, that upon which we can hang our sense of reality. We can make sense of life if we just take these nails and put them in place. And they're given by a shepherd. I think that's God himself who is leading us to a certain kind of a thing. Validating the journey on the whole way. Everything we experience, everything we're processing, he's valuing it. Um, He's validating the fact that we have these big questions. He's validating our tendency to say, maybe I shouldn't just blindly trust what the people before me have said. Maybe I should jump in with this. He's saying, yes, all of that is right and good, um, but it has to lead us somewhere. And, and, and this is where he gets, a, uh, gets us to go. This is the path. Before, before he says that, that comes in the next couple of verses. In verse 12, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Okay, these are the wise sayings that are meant to get you on the path. Beware of going further than this because of making many books, there's no end. Much study is a weariness of the flesh. I think he's, he's coming to the end of it and he's saying, wasn't this exhausting? I think that's kind of what he's saying. Wasn't this exhausting to go through this whole thing? And it's almost like he took us on this journey to warn us against taking this journey in a sense, right? Like you could go on infinitely. Uh, I, if, you're, if you're paying attention, you'll notice the preacher didn't wrap everything up, right? There, there were uh, huge things where he's like, there's not any justice in the world, right? The same thing happens to the righteous and to the fool. And like, what do we do with that? He never answered that question. He lets it sit. And so he's come to the end of the whole thing and you could keep going. You could keep writing this book. You could, you, we could get a second Ecclesiastes and we could just keep rolling with that whole thing. Um, and so he's, he's just saying like, be careful because you could keep writing book after book after book. You could keep on this journey forever, but at some point you have to recognize this search for meaning and wisdom is not going to fulfill. One of the greatest writers that's ever lived is Leo Tolstoy. He was one of the um, just huge classical Russian novelist in the 19th century. Um, he wrote War and Peace. He wrote Anna Karenina, some of the like most significant works of literature. And he was part of this movement at the time in Russia where they were writing like these really beautiful, amazing um, novels and religious works and philosophical works. This is how he describes in his, um, his sort of spiritual autobiography what they were trying to do with all this. He says it like this. At, at the time, we were all convinced that we must talk and talk and write and publish as quickly as possible and as much as possible, and that this was all necessary for the good of mankind. And thousands of us, contradicting and abusing one another, published and wrote with the aim of teaching others, failing to notice that we knew nothing, that we did not know the answer to the most basic questions of life, what is good and what is evil. We all spoke at the same time, never listening to one another. At times, we indulged and praised each other in order to be indulged and praised in return. At other times, we grew angry and shrieked at each other, just as if we were in a madhouse. Thousands of workers toiled the day and night, assembling millions and millions of words, which were distributed by post over the whole of Russia. And we taught and taught, but never managed to impart all that we had to teach. And we're always annoyed that we were given so little attention. Horribly strange, but now I understand it all. Our genuine, sincere concern was over how to gain as much money and fame as possible. And the only thing we knew how to do in order to achieve this aim was to write books and journals. This is what we did. So he's, this is Tolstoy, and he's saying, man, we tried to get to the meaning of life and make it make sense for everybody through writing. And he said, we did it, and it was just spinning our wheels. It just didn't get us in. It just feels so much like the preacher to me. I, I'm always amazed when I talk to people, you guys and other people that I know, and it seems like everybody like has a book that you're writing. Like you have this thing on your heart and you're like, yeah, I've got this book. I'm either writing it or I'm about to write it. And I think the um, Tolstoy's advice and certainly the preacher's advice would be 
That's fantastic. Write everything you need to write, um, but don't expect it to settle anything for you or for anyone else, really. Um, a lot of us are, like, really into reading books. And so you just read, 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 and, and try to read the great works, like with, the, with a capital G and a capital W. Read those classic works that are going to find meaning. He's just saying you are never going to find it. There is nothing that will ever satisfy you. As you two said uh, on our Ecclesiastes playlist that we've been rolling with, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? And you'll go and you'll go again and again and again. You'll keep trying. You will not find it. It is always elusive. So this path, like trying to figure out life, taking the journey, um, reading the books, writing the books, like going through it is like, I think, skating up to the edge of that like thin ice, okay? There's, there's something there, and I'm going to impress everybody about how close I get to the edge, that thin ice, but if you never ke- leave the safety of the ice, you're just doing the journey over and over again. You're staying in the comfortable spot. You're, you're relying on your big brain to figure the whole thing out. You're relying on your senses and on your society to tell you what's acceptable to ask and what's not. And the invitation is to say, stop the journey and get yourself to a spot of some risk and say, how do I actually feel about this? What am I actually going to do in response to all this? Stop playing everything safe and allow ourselves to be okay with not knowing it all. There's things he didn't resolve. There's things that we don't know the answer to if we just base it on Ecclesiastes. And he's saying, that's okay. I still have a conclusion, even without wrapping all that up. David Gibson is one of my favorite commentators on Ecclesiastes, he says, we learn, we, we as Christian people, we learn perhaps through great pain to be deeply content with not knowing, to know all there is about everything there is to know, to know it in all ways and at all the right times so that I have every bit of relevant data in front of me. Well, that is the kind of control over, wi- over the world that Ecclesiastes has been teaching me to surrender. I cannot know, and so I don't have to know. Trying to know or pretending to know is foolishness and not wisdom. This whole pursuit that the preacher's been on has been like the wise man trying to figure out life. And at the end, he kind of says, yeah, but honestly, my pursuit of wisdom was actually foolishness. I can't figure it all out for myself. There has to be something deeper. There's some deeper reality that's inviting me out of my comfort and my safety, inviting me into something that goes a step beyond what I'm able to prove, uh, what I'm able to establish logically. There's something uh, deeper there that I'm being invited into. So what is that thing? Here he says it in verses 13 and 14 in the dramatic conclusion to the entire book. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So this is it. This is the end of the matter. Everything's been heard. What what do we take away from this book of Ecclesiastes? And um, here's here's what he says. This is the best thing you can do. This is your entire job. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, if you set out on the journey of Ecclesiastes without knowing how it ends, it's likely, I think, that this would be a really disappointing ending to the whole thing, right? There's some of us that want to be like really progressive and we're like, okay, I know, I know the faith of my grandparents and my grandparents were lovely, but they were, you know, they didn't know what we know now. Like they didn't even know how to use their phones, you know what I'm saying? And so like there's got to be something a little more rich and progressive out there that I can get my hands on in terms of my religious experience. And so we set out with the the preacher and we're like, this is great. He's challenging all of these boring church assumptions that we've ever had. And we follow him on this journey and we're like, okay, this guy gets me. How is he going to wrap this up? And he comes to the most boring, basic church conclusion of all. 
fear God and keep his commandments because he's going to judge you for all of it. And so just follow what he says, and that's the meaning of life. That's the best you can do in life. That's a tough pill to swallow if you were hoping that he would get you somewhere progressive. The, the book of Proverbs says in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which means you can't even step into wisdom whatsoever unless you start at that basic fundamental building block of fearing the Lord. Like it's, it's just seeing God as like who he is, as big, as weighty, as like worthy of listening to his words. Um, if, you, if you tell me, like some of you could come up here and tell me like what Anderson Cooper said this week, and all I'm going to do is yawn and be like, okay, cute, that's fine. Others of you will come up and tell me eagerly what Tucker Carlson said this week, and all I'm going to do is just yawn and whatever. I don't care what these two people have to say about really anything. I don't. Some of you are really stressed out by what these two men are saying. I don't care. But what we should care about is what does God say? Like how, how much weight do his words say? That should be the thing that actually sets our agenda, right? That gets us stressed out or not, right? Um, is what does he say? When we, we did a, uh, Isaiah uh, a while back, and the book of Isaiah ends by God himself saying, um, this is the person to whom I'm going to look. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and the one who trembles at my word. It's, it's God at the end of this whole book of Isaiah saying, this is the person that I'm looking for. Is the one that just like is humble, like is willing to repent. And, and everything that I say, the words that I say, those matter. Those make you tremble and shake. That's the fear of the Lord. And he's saying it's the beginning of wisdom. So we come to the end of this journey and where we arrive is at the basic building block. This important invitation, this starting point of, okay, now. Now if you realize this and you come to a place where you can let go of all these things that you've been pursuing as ultimate and so important in your lives, let go of all that and you can begin a journey that actually matters. That's what the rest of our life gets to be is this, this process of fearing God, of, of as he said in last week's passage, Nathan took us through, remembering our creator while we still have time to remember our creator, to follow him and to see if we just look at life under the sun, it, it does not fit together, right? When you, when you do this, you're just missing out on this key piece that makes it all fit together, that makes it all work, not in a way that we can intellectually solve all the way, but it makes it all begin to fit together. And so if we can, um, if we can remember our creator, if we can take the fear of the Lord into account, we begin to see, man, there is something different about how the way the world uh, functions. There's something different we're invited into. There's so many things that we can give up. See, I there's this, um, there's this side of life where uh, Proverbs, you read through the book of Proverbs. It's, an ama it's amazing. Like it's just full of wisdom and, and you could just read Proverbs the rest of your life and it gives you all these wise sayings that are really straightforward. Um, things like, you know, the, the, the righteous person will be blessed and the evil person will be punished. Um, walking, walking in wisdom, avoiding lust, like, like following the Lord's commandments, these all lead to life. So Proverbs is really straightforward and it really is um, true and accurate in what should guide us in our life. Um, the problem is that many of us are in a spot where it's like, that is a tough pill to swallow, and it doesn't always feel right according to my experience of the world. So sometimes you have to start in the book of Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes gives us this different entry point to that, and it's a, it's a winding path, and you're going through, and you're like, okay, yes, preacher, thank you for pointing out that life doesn't always make sense. Thank you for saying that sometimes the righteous person isn't always rewarded. Thank you for leading me that, and we find that, follow that winding path of Ecclesiastes, and we find, where does it lead us? 
back to the beginning of Proverbs. And, and that's the, the entry point sometimes I think that we need is to follow him that way. On the other side, some of us start on the path in the book of Job, where Job is like a righteous man, and instead of being rewarded, he loses everything. And he's wrestling with like, can God be real and good in the midst of intense suffering? And some of us start that winding path, and we find with Job that we end, where do we end? The exact same place, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom in Proverbs. So our entry point often comes from these different places, but the key is for us to be willing to leave off the safety of charging at the middle, and we're, we're only going to do what we can do in the safety of what I know and what's comfortable. I'm never going to take that risk of going further than I'm comfortable with. For a lot of us, that safe place is what we can know and prove with our minds, what my experience tells me, what my culture will allow, what will keep me from being mocked by my peers. Um, those are the things that I, I cannot let go of. I, I could tell you guys, like right now I could give you a perfectly logical, with no gaps or holes or anything, logical explanation of why I believe that God is real, that Jesus um, is, is truly like died for my sins, why I believe all that is real. I could like lay it out for you and I could give you like step by step. I could give you the proofs. I could explain to you all of the logic that gets me there. And I feel like I could do that in a way that like there's no gaps, there's no flaws. You'd be super unreasonable not to agree with me completely on it, okay? You guys would all be convinced we'd have a mass conversion to the Lord, uh, maybe not in this place, but I could do that, right? And that would feel great because we're like, yes, that's what we want. Like that's, I think that's why sometimes we read C.S. Lewis or we read Tim Keller because we want that smart person to be like, this is the way to do it. It's foolproof. No one will ever uh, counter it. The problem with that is, is even if I did that, everything that made sense to me, all the logical pieces and how they fit together, if I can do that for you, there's going to be gaps in it from your perspective, right? There's going to be things in your experience where you're like, that does not satisfy me. And here's the, the trick is, go back six months ago and certain pieces in that uh, presentation that I lay out are going to be more shaky for me. And maybe six months in the future from now, there's pieces that are going to be shaky. The hard thing is that life is this journey where we're constantly wrestling. And there is logic to it, of course. There's truth behind it, absolutely. There's historical verifiability to all of it. But there comes that place where I think we have to say, okay, I still, though, have some questions left. There's still some things that don't seem to fit together. I can understand that God is good, makes everything beautiful in his time. I can understand that God has a big picture in mind that I may not be able to get myself all the way behind. I can understand that. But today, in the brokenness that I'm feeling, with the loss that I've experienced, or with, with like the turmoil in my heart, I cannot get myself to trust that God. Like that, that is often where we find ourselves in life. And the invitation here of Ecclesiastes is saying, hey, the journey's worth it. It's worth taking the journey, but just know the journey will never lead you all the way there. You'll never conclude it. You'll never be able to utter the sentence, life is not vanity. Life is not enigmatic. Life makes perfect sense. You're never going to be able to say that. What you have to do is instead trust God, and that's a decision. That's leaving the safety of the ice, and it's coming out into a spot where you're like, I don't know what will happen when I take this step. It's saying, okay, there, it is reasonable for me to see the invitation of a God that I can't understand all the way, and to fear that God, to treat his words like they actually matter, even as I treat everyone else's like they're secondary to that. And I'm going to step out here in faith. Um, this is what he says at the very end in verse 14. God's going to bring every deed into judgment, good, good or evil. Like he's going to weigh all of this. And so it's saying there is an audience of one. I don't need to care what anyone else thinks about me. He, he's the one that matters. And so I'm going to listen to what he says. I'm going to, I'm going to fear him. I'm going to obey what he says because that's all that matters. And he, and he says it. He's going to bring every deed into judgment 
with every secret thing, okay? Every secret thing. So if you just use your imagination for a second and think of what are all the secret things in this room right now? Do you think we have any murders in here? I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> I do wonder that sometimes. Someone in here probably. I don't know. <laughs> An unsolved. There's going to be a podcast about one of you one day. <laughs> think of the secret things that we have in our hearts, right? Think of, think of the, the, the struggles in your heart, the doubts that you have that you would never let anybody know about, Okay. Think about the, the lust issues in your life that you hope never, no one ever finds about. Think about your greed. Think about the, the, the depression that you try to just keep covered up with whatever. All the secret things in this room, and we get pretty good at hiding them from each other, right? But here's what he's saying. One of these days, the judge of it all, the God of it all, is going to bring every secret thing to light. And right now, this moment, he actually already knows all of those things, right? So there, there is a, a best actor category in the Oscars, but not in life, okay? Best actor does not work with the God who sees everything and knows every secret. And so the, the beauty, I think, of Ecclesiastes is it's coming and just saying, okay, Lord, here's everything. Here's everything I care about. Here's like all my hopes and dreams. Here's all the things I've been trying. Here it all is, Lord. Um, you can see all of it. And Lord, here are the things that I've been hiding. Man, the things that I just hope never, no one ever knows about. And it's just saying, Lord, it, like, it's all there. It, I, I'm honest before you. It's all there. And then to fear God, to obey him, to let him, his words be the goads that just prick us and convict us and push us into a path that sure is more painful because we're being led there, but it also is more beautiful and it's more life-giving and it's more hope-filled and it's more rewarding in the deeper sense than anything we can. Ecclesiastes, I believe, is all about a bit at a time, just giving up these things, setting aside the tough things in our experience and the secrets that we carry, laying those things alongside these deep, profound statements to trust God, to fear God, to, to, to understand that he's put eternity in our hearts and that it ultimately somehow he makes everything beautiful in its time. It sets those things side by side and invites us, let's be honest, let's ask the questions um, and let's move somewhere more healthy. I think that is so much what Ecclesiastes is about. It, it's echoed in the New Testament with Paul. Uh, Jesus certainly talks about laying down our life so that we'll uh, save it. That's a beautiful thing that Jesus shares Paul says it like this in Philippians 3. He's coming from the standpoint of um, religious achievement. He did everything right. He had all these um, circumcised on the right day, trained in the right school, a Pharisee, like righteous, everything. He was great. But he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is Paul saying, like, all of it, every, everything that, like, every pleasure, every good thing, every, every, like, religious achievement, I just took it all and was like, you know what, compared to actually knowing Jesus, all of it is just garbage. He uses the word rubbish, which, um, which is, like, one of a few times in Scripture that there's, like, a low-key curse word um, in the whole thing. Like, rubbish is super under-translated for what this term means. And he's just saying, like, take all of that, take, take all of my achievements, everything I've been finding meaning and pleasure in, and put it in the doggy bag and throw it aside because that whole thing is just worthless compared to knowing Jesus. 
And knowing Jesus is not about having your life perfectly together. It's not about living a, a perfect life. It's not about impressing anybody else. It's not about keeping anyone from seeing the darkest parts of your heart. Knowing Christ is about this relationship and this journey. It's seeing a God who sees you, knows every secret thing in your heart, and sees you and says, I love you. In the midst of all that, I love you so much that I'm going to come to this earth. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be mocked, and I'm going to die laying my life down so that you can be with me and have life with me. That is the God. That is what the Bible is about. That is what God is all about. And that is the invitation that I think we find at the end of it all. Take the quest. Take the journey. Loosen your grip on as much as you can and hold it all before the Lord and say, this is all that I have, Lord. This is who I am, the good and the bad and all of it. And just to hear him saying, I love you. I want you. I'm working in you. My, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you to tidy up all this stuff. Like, and, and to also what God does puts us in a community like this. So we think of every secret thing in a community like this. We could keep it all hidden from each other. And we could be like, boy, I want nobody in this place to know what I'm like. Or we could look at the people around us and say, you know, they've got secret things too. They're also flawed. They're also holding on to money or achievement or, or meaning through other people like I am. And we can begin to let those things loose uh, in our hands. We can let them go to the Lord by, in many cases, letting them go to each other, right? And we can find that, yeah, we're all broken and we will hurt each other, but we can also care for each other. And we can be this beautiful community that provides some measure of healing to each other as we follow the Lord that is the shepherd that is giving us words like this. Um, I might be over-interpreting Ecclesiastes. I think that's possible. I definitely think he's not as optimistic as I am. But I think this is where the whole thing is meant to lead. Um, ultimately, fearing God and keeping his commandments, Jesus came and said, look, here's what it looks like. It means loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it means loving your neighbor as yourself. This, like upon these two things hang all the commandments. Like that, that, this is the fulfillment of the entire law is just love God, love the people around us, fear God, keep his commandments. Let's, let's pursue and let's follow. So um, that's where I want to leave us this morning. That's where Ecclesiastes ends. From here, we, we jump into um, a series on Advent as we prepare our hearts for Christmas. Um, we've got some great things in the new year um, that we're, we're planning to, to kind of talk through on Sunday mornings. But before we, like, move on from Ecclesiastes, what I'd like you to do is just take that minute and consider, am I playing it safe or is there a step here for me? You know, what, what is the Lord asking of you? And it might be just you being honest before him. Wouldn't that be beautiful if we all sat here as a couple of songs played and we were just honest with the Lord, maybe for the first time ever, and I'm speaking to him. It might be that you find someone to talk to. Um, I'm always around and available. I'd love to talk to you. Um, one thing I definitely want you to do is to fill out a three by five card for me, okay? So uh, on your seat when you came in, there was a, a three by five card and a pen. For some of you, it's on your seat and under your seat, if you know what I'm talking about, because you didn't notice it when you sat down. So um, I would like all of you, if you would uh, be so kind as to oblige, to um, fill that out. And it's, it's simply this. Um, how can we pray for you? That's, that's what I want to know. Our hearts, when I say our, I mean, I mean our ministry staff and our elders, uh, we love you guys. We want to pray for you guys. And so I, we just want to invite you. Would you please um, give us some way to pray for you? Um, my favorite would be that we all write down some way that we can be praying for you and write your name on it so that we know who it is. If you want us to contact you and reach out, like I need help, um, make sure you put your contact info on there in a legible way. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, that would be my favorite. 
when we leave here, after these next couple of songs, we're going to put them in baskets over there by the door on the way out. So I would love it if all of you do that. If you, if you, if you don't want to, if you can't, that's totally fine, totally fine. Um, if you have a thing that you can just barely get yourself to write down but can't put your name by it, that's great. I'd love to have that too. We'd love to be praying for you. Um, if you want to just put your name and you can't articulate what you need prayer for, do that too. We would love a chance just to be praying for you. Um, the whole thing is we're a family, and I'm not up here because I've figured anything out. Um, I'm here to be a shepherd to guide you through the word of God and then to be a shepherd to guide you through life as much as I can. That's how the elders function. That's how our ministry staff functions. That's how we as a church family function too. And so um, that's the invite. So we're going to close this time. Um, They're going to play some music, getting us ready for this next song. And if you could just take a minute right now to just jot down that card some way that we can be holding you up and praying for you. um, And then we're going to sing.